The Trilogy Podcast with Vin and Scott. Three movies, two men, one podcast. Whoa, Scott. Is that us? They look just like me and you. Of course we do. We're future Vin and Scott. The future Vin and Scott? Wait, wait, how far into the future? We're you at the end of this episode. But you look and sound just like we do now. Well, only about an hour is best. So why are you here then, future Vin? We've traveled back in time to tell you that you're about to embark on a most excellent podcast adventure full of laughs and revelations. Sounds great. But Scott, yes, future Scott? Make sure to put some ice on your head when you get home. Why? You'll see. We told us that this was going to be a good episode, so I believe in us. I mean, who else are you going to believe? Nobody. Right. All right. So, I am Vincent Preston Berardi. And I am Scott William Cagney Esquire. And we are the The Trilogy Podcast. The only podcast in the universe devoted strictly to trilogies. No reboots. No straight to cable. We're bringing you facts, debate, trivia, and more to hell with the movie if they made four. Isn't that right, Scott? Yeah, excellent. All right, why don't you tell us this time around, Scott, what trilogy we're doing. This is the Bill and Ted trilogy. Yes, it is, Scott. We're doing the Bill and Ted trilogy this time around. Yes. We're trying to capitalize on the fact, I think, that the third movie just recently came out this summer, right? Just recently became a trilogy. And I think there's something to be said, too, for the fact that our old friend, Eddie Van Halen, has died. Yes. And he's mentioned so prominently in the first film, no doubt. Yes. All right. So we're about to jump into the Bill and Ted trilogy. And I think it behooves us to find out from our old friend, the Trilogy Bot, exactly what kind of trilogy we're doing this time around. Yes. So why don't I call out to our robotic friend so that he can break down this episode's trilogy. Bill and Ted is a two-to-tango trilogy, where we follow the adventures of two characters, they could be partners, friends, or family members, over the course of three films. Truly excellent, you time travel loving bitches. It gets tiresome sometimes. Sure does. Sure does. I, I might say it was bogus, but... It was kind of bogus. A little bit bogus. But he's right. This is a two-to-tango trilogy. Yes. And it couldn't be more a two to tango trilogy. I mean, the two people's names are actually in the title of the film. Yes. Similar to, uh, I was going to say, Harold and Kumar. That was my only other example of this. Harold yes. and Kumar, where they basically tell us the two people whose adventures we want to pursue through the course of three movies. Yeah. So I can't wait, Scott. I can't wait. Me neither. Let's get started. All right. So, Scott, I think it would be good now. We're moving right along to get right into the plots of this fantastic trilogy. The um, plots. Yeah, the plots. Uh, which which plots would those be? I don't... Uh, well... Is, is there a name for it, perhaps? Som- well, sometimes we call them Scott's plots, but I think you should just go right into them this time around. I don't think there's any reason to belabor the issue. So you think I should go right into... Scott's plots! Scott's plots! It's a Scott's plots, baby, really took advantage of the whammy bar there, I see. I like the whammy bar. Who doesn't? I'm, I mean, when my plots hit, 
they go whammy as soon as they hit. So <laughs> I think it's appropriate. Fair enough. All right. Break it down for us, my brother. All right. I would be delighted. Uh, this is, of course, Scott's Plots, and uh, I am Scott, and what I do here is I will break down the plots for you. I'll give you the bare-bones details of what happens in the movies from start to finish. So in case you've watched the movies and you don't want to watch them again, we got you covered here to give you a little refresher. And if you don't care about ever watching the movies and just like the sultry sounds of my voice, then uh, I got you covered there, too. Sounds good. All right, so we'll start it all off with uh, the first film, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. 1989. In 1980s California, two teenage dumbasses are about to fail their history report when a man from the future arrives in a time machine and tells them he has been sent to ensure they pass so they can start a band that will ultimately change the world. I think it's as good a time as any to mention the idea of time travel in these films. We've dealt with it in so many of our trilogies. True. But I think this one is only rivaled by Back to the Future with respect to it being a critical element of the plots. Right. You know, not just thrown in as a way of maintaining a second or third movie, but rather it's key to what we're doing. And I would say, much like Back to the Future in this movie, the vessel that they use for uh, time travel is very unique to the 80s of when this is taking place, right? You know, the Back to the Future, you of course, got the classic DeLorean. Right. Which, to somebody watching this today, they would look at that and they wouldn't know what a DeLorean is. It looks you know like a spaceship. I mean? they would, yeah, they would assume it's it's a time machine. Right. The same way this is a phone booth. What's that? Right, exactly. Well, when this like, was initially written, it was supposed to be a van they were traveling around in, and they changed it specifically because it was too much like the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Right. And actually, I think it's much more unique to be the phone booth, and I think it's kind of iconic of the movie. Agreed. You know? And you know what? I think what's okay about the time tra- – it didn't bother me the way it has in previous trilogies because it's almost a spoof of Back to the Future and the idea of time travel in movies. I'll get into that a little bit later, but they don't take it seriously. We just accept it. We're not looking at the paradoxes or any of that. We just kind of take it at face value because it's such a silly movie, right? Right. And it's meant, and even when they they try to do like the confusing time travel stuff, it's all silly and doesn't make any sense anyway. In this one, we blindly accept it, whereas in Back to the Future, though it was also a comedy, it was critical to the matrix of the film. Well, the main conceit is ridiculous that you would give these two idiots... A time machine at all. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And that's right. kind of, you have to let that go and go, well, this is just going to be fun. Let's just say that for now, I'm okay with it. I'm not going to have a, a time travel breakdown the way I have in the past, all right? Yeah, we'll see. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. The two dumbasses are skeptical, but after talking to their future selves, they are convinced. And the man from the future demonstrates the time machine, taking them to the past where they meet and accidentally abduct Napoleon. Uh, I will be using character names of historical figures. Because they're historical figures. And if I don't mention who they are, it's going to be very confusing. Very confusing. (laughs) Right. But you know what? What kind of a history class is this anyway, where just random historical figures are talked about? There's no link between any of them right i mean they you know what they i think they do kind of try to chunk it up it seems like for some reason billy the kid and socrates are important to the history report napoleon was a mistake and was just he wasn't supposed to be there and then the rest of them are sort of like extra credit i'm like the the test paper was on the wild west and ancient greece and that's it (laughs) i never studied billy the kid in any history class one of the underlying things in these films is that many of these historical figures are not good people they're sort of bad people that are glossed over and made to be okay in this in this (laughs) trilogy Yeah, like they they just put away their killer tendencies because they're in the present. Like Like, Genghis Khan was horrible. Yeah. (laughs) How did he not murder more people? (laughs) 
in San Dimas, California. <laughs> the two dumbasses decide to gather a bunch of historical figures together so they can give their history report for them, and they leave Napoleon in the present with the dark-haired dumbass's brother. The two dumbasses befriend Socrates and Billy the Kid, and they decide to join the dumbasses. An unlikely friendship. Yes, and a little too easy of them, like, well, fuck it. <laughs> well, all right, sure, I'll hop in your thing. Oh, yes, wind and dirt. Okay, yeah, no I'm one's in. really resistant to getting into this crazy machine. They're like, all yeah. right. The four arrive in medieval England, where the two dumbasses meet two hot princesses who are being forced to wed. The two dumbasses try to save the princesses, but they are captured and are to be executed. But Socrates and Billy the Kid save them, and the dumbasses leave the princesses behind. Perhaps this went on a little bit too long in the film, the whole sequence that takes place in medieval times yes. with the princesses. It seems that some of this movie feels like treading water. Listen, I like all of their forays into the past, but we keep going with this princess concept through all three of these films needlessly. Yeah. At the time when you're watching it, you don't know if you're ever seeing these princesses again. You think it's a throwaway. They're right. like, oh, you got the princesses as your girlfriends. Okay, it's right. funny for the first movie, but... And they're all adjusting very well to being in the present. A little too well, if you ask me. Yeah. No one's like, what the hell is that? A car? Like... <laughs> the rest of the historical figures react to it. The princesses are like, oh, this is just... This is great. I've, these are yeah. great men. Oh, fine. Yes, we'll just leave our father and our family and everyone and... Just go to the present, no problem. Well... While escaping, the time machine is damaged, and they end up in the future society where they are worshipped. This inspires the dumbasses to obtain even more historical figures, including Freud, Beethoven, Joan of Arc, Genghis Khan, and Abraham Lincoln. Again, many figures that were never spoken of in high school. Who heard about Freud in high school? Right. I barely heard about him in college. That's why it's weird. They're like, oh, and Abraham Lincoln. I'm like, he would be the one I would think that you might have talked about. Right. At length in high school. The dumbasses are able to fix the time machine and arrive back where they met themselves. And we see the same conversation happen. The dumbasses and the historical figures return to the present to find Napoleon is missing. The dumbasses leave the historical figures at the mall while they search for Napoleon at a water park. Let me tell you, I'm completely happy, though, with how committed the historical figures are to their characters. They act the way you would think they would act if they were in the present time. Those actors are committed to playing those historical figures in a real way, I think. Uh, I will say, I think the uh, Joan of Arc doing, like, fitness and doing, like, you know, the Jane Fonda... I'm not sure of that connection. You're yeah. right. Everybody else, you're like, well, sure, Genghis Khan would, like, check out weapons. He's got baseball bats, whatever. Right. That makes sense. Beethoven is playing the keyboard and stuff and trying out new stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. You're right. There isn't an equivalent with Joan of Arc. I mean, she was a religious zealot that led armies into battle and was eventually burnt at the stake. And does this frivolous, like, jazzercise workout There's or no whatever. There's no real equivalent. Like to that, you assume she'd be into fitness? I don't know how that right. tracks. It seems more like because she was a female character, they thought, well, what are females doing now? They're doing a lot of aerobics and I, stuff I like that. I respect that, though. I mean, that was a sign of the times. But it, but it, but it's but it's obviously like they looked at the characters of the other men characters right. and went, let's see, what, what would their behavior in the past dictate in the future? But That's in true. this one, they went, what would women's behavior now dictate Joan of Arc's? You uh, know what I mean? Yeah, I, I could see that. So it's a little fucked where I was like, That's kind of weird. 
That well, it's the casual sexism of the, the late 80s. Sure. The casual homophobia. Yes, and we'll talk about that. Yes, yes. I've, I've, I wrote them all down. Okay. Good. <laughs> That's good. Thorough. Good thinking. <laughs> the dumbasses leave the historical figures at the mall while they search for Napoleon at a water park, and the historical figures get into trouble and are arrested. Now, breaking them out of jail was a little bit sloppy the way they did that, but it was definitely a spoof on time travel in that right. they're saying, oh, I'll just leave this key for myself and I'll go back to it. It was kind of slick. You I, know, I, I like that. It's a very funny concept and they use it again in the second movie yep. and I believe even in the third movie they there's do. a little bit of it. But you, you're leaving so much up to chance, right? Sure. Like, what if you're sh- you're struck by a bus as you walk out and you're heading to do that? You know what I mean? It's definitely, though, I feel a spoof on Back to the Future where everything had to be so precise with respect to going back into the past and how everything right. worked out. Here they're basically saying, hey, it's a deus ex machina. We can... Yeah. Even in this first movie, too, where he's like, garbage can, garbage can, remember the garbage can. And then a garbage can falls out of the sky. How did you engineer that? Yeah. Like, so you had it, what, did you have it on a rope that was just like like sandbag timed before it fell at the perfect moment? But like... you know what? They do intelligently justify the idea that Ted's father can't find his keys through the whole first movie. I did like that. And they link it around. It yeah. makes sense then. And him so... being like, oh, I did steal his keys. Right. Like, so cool. again... It's, it's a clever spoof that, that makes the time travel palatable for us. Right. The dumbasses use the time machine to break out the historical figures, and they arrive just in time to give their history report, which is a huge success. Later, the man from the future returns and drops off the two hot princesses, who will also be part of their future band that will save the world. The man from the future jams with them, but they sound awful. And he's bringing in two princesses from the medieval times. How would they know how to play instruments? Anytime they made one of these movies, no one expected there to be another one. After agreed, that. agreed, agreed. So they, if they kept trying to like close it up and like end it off with something that would be satisfying, but at the same time, when they had to start the next movie, they're like, well, we got to go with that yep. because we said it last time. Which isn't uncommon in the world of trilogies, but it really feels like each of these movies is capped and then they're forced to kind of either like adjust, retcon something, or they have to just blindly go, okay, that's true also, but let's, you know, move on. You know, it's, this is more important important than that. You and know? we would be failing in our analysis if we did not mention that the conclusion, the grand climax of the first film involves a stage presentation that somehow has been teched out perfectly with lights, with sound. They would have had no time to plan any of what they're doing. I don't Yeah. Really, the kudos go to whoever the kid is up there running that light board. You bet your ass. They knew what they were going to do with each historical figure. When did they put that together? Just the blocking of the eventual production at the end. Right, yeah. When did they set all that up? Pulling the couch out for Freud to analyze him. Yeah. When did they say, look, guys, for each of you, we're going to do a little set piece where you explain yourselves and relate it to San Dimas. When was that done? Right. When did the work on the report happen? Yeah. And that's what I love, too, is like, here's a couple of facts about them. And then one fact about them that we just learned today. <laughs> Who also, even, how do they even know he these likes facts? corn dogs. Yes, like, I can appreciate <laughs> that, but at what point did they even research the real information about right. them? They're pronouncing Socrates' name wrong through the entire thing. Suddenly, well, they, they have facts about him. Plato and uh, Aristotle, what? You know, instead of fucking treading water in the middle of the movie with, like, the princess thing, perhaps in between we could have seen them telling them about themselves. Agreed. Yeah. Meanwhile, Socrates doesn't even speak English. It's all arbitrary. He could yeah. be saying anything. Right. He loves San Dimas. You don't know that he's saying that. He's telling you to fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. He's just, it's, it's, it's something lost in translation he's saying, what there. am I doing here? <laughs> all right. Well, it, obviously, Scott, it must make much more sense when we get to the second movie, right? Let's see. 
Okay. Of course, the second movie is called Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. 1991. In the future, the man from the future's old teacher wants to destroy the utopian society based on the music of the two dumbasses. The teacher steals a time machine and sends two evil robot versions of the two dumbasses to the 90s to stop the two dumbasses from winning a battle of the bands. And meanwhile, Keanu and, and Alex Winter are struggling to play evil versions of themselves. They were exactly the same but their intentions were bad. You know what I mean? Like, So they're still like, yeah, I'm totally going to kill you. Like they're saying the lines the exact same way, but it's just bad things coming out of their mouth. The man from the future tries to stop the teacher, but ends up lost in the circuits of time. And we really think that George Carlin's going to play some kind of a important role in the second movie. Not really. Yeah. Don't see him till the end. He seemed like he was like, uh, if I could be in this movie as little as possible, that would be great. I mean, at the end, he becomes Pam Greer. Pam Greer becomes him. Yeah, it's complicated, but it, yes. Right, <laughs> right. In the 90s, the two dumbasses still suck at music, but the organizer of the Battle of the Bands gives them the last spot of the night. That night, the two dumbasses get engaged to the princesses, just as the evil robot versions arrive and kill the two dumbasses and set out to ruin their reputation. The two dead dumbasses meet the Grim Reaper, who tells them if they beat him in a contest, they can return to the living. But no one has ever won. The two dumbasses give death a wedgie and escape. So we're really not traveling through the future in this one so much as traveling through the afterlife. We're seeing hell and heaven right. and... These two idiot characters doing something so monumental and huge, like going through the afterlife or traveling through time, is funny because it's like, why are they the ones doing it? Right. You know? And how can they so easily get in and out of hell? Right. In and out of hell. No one's ever won before, and these guys make it look easy. If I can so easily get out of hell, I'm going to do so many more evil things as a human being. Right. If I know it's so easy to just... Sure. Let's start now. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> we have, Scott. The podcast has begun. <laughs> and it's not a terrible representation well, of what these things we think are kind of going to look like. Right. It's what everyone expects them to look like. Yeah. Well, I'll drop this here just because it's relevant, but the original title of the film was supposed to be Bill and Ted Go to Hell. Go to Hell, yeah. Yeah. They're you in know? hell a bit too long for my tastes. I like all the hell you stuff. You like all the hell yes. stuff where they're looking at their... As we're about to get into. Go ahead. Yeah. Being dead, the two dumbasses decide the best way to get help is to possess their loved ones and haunt people at a seance, where through an incantation, they are sent to hell. In hell, they are tormented by nightmare versions of past memories and decide the only way out is to challenge the Grim Reaper to a series of board games. Perhaps this is the best part of the movie. Yes, this is my my favorite part of the movie. Well, Honestly, yeah. death. William Sadler. Agreed. Is the best part of the movie. As we know, he's the antagonist in the best Die Hard film, he's, Die Hard yes, 2. You're right. He is an antagonist in a Die Hard in film. In the best one where we see, I see him mm. naked to begin the film. You know, if I, I will say, while I was watching this and they're playing Twister at one point, and he's really stretching that foot out there. There's no way he's ever going to get to that spot. But he's really stretching it, and all I could think is, it's all that Tai Chi he did <laughs> in Die Hard 2. For a second, you it think he's going to make it. You're like, yeah. well, his foot's near the, the right spot. Yeah. That makes me think William Sadler does a lot of Tai Chi. I agree. He probably stretches out quite a bit. The two dumbasses beat the Grim Reaper, and he agrees to help them. Looking for a smart scientist who can build good robot versions of the two dumbasses, the Grim Reaper takes them to heaven, where they meet two alien scientists who agree to help. Just ridiculous, this part. 
Yes. Just ridiculous. I don't know what these puppet creatures are or what they're doing. Yeah, uh, it's absurd. Yeah, it's really, I mean, now it's it's like they had written a part where they go to space and they're like, yeah, we don't have time. Well, let's just send them to heaven instead. It's easier to make everything white. There you go. It's heaven. I'm not convinced there are non-humans in heaven. Yeah. It's a human construct. Plus, did you see any others? No. Besides those two? <laughs> Grotesque. They're not- just throwing everything against the wall and hoping something sticks at this point. Right. The two dumbasses, the Grim Reaper and the alien scientists return to the 90s build two good robot versions of the two dumbasses and destroy the evil robots at the Battle of the Bands. And meanwhile, you think they're going to make two really powerful Bill and Ted's, but they're like shitty looking. Right, but they they could only work with what they had at the Home Depot, right? Except they have a time machine, so they could have just gone wherever and got whatever, right? Better parts. Yeah. They're fighting against two like Terminator-esque androids and they're all fucking janky and robotic they look ridiculous and they just stand there and take it on the chin the two evil robots are like oh no i guess we're done and they don't even try to fight the other robots it's not even it's so anticlimactic they killed them in one second yeah give me a break yeah what was this entire trip what was the whole bogus journey for (laughs) at least william sadler says i made the wigs (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he was told many times, like, we don't need wigs, okay? Like, no, but I will make them. Like, <laughs> what? That's a great theme throughout all these movies, that important figures like death and God and the devil, they, they do mundane things and they're proud of it. But it's like, because they're so simple, like everything is so excellent or bogus. Everything is like, yeah, yay or nay, like very yin yang. So I feel like that's why God even is like, I get these guys, sure. you know? They're, yeah. they're, they're simpletons. Suddenly... The man from the future's old teacher arrives to kill the two dumbasses and broadcast the Battle of the Bands across the world. The two dumbasses and the old teacher attempt to use time travel to set themselves up for victory, with the two dumbasses coming out on top. The organizer takes off her skin and reveals she was the man from the future all along. The two dumbasses still suck at music, but use the time machine to take a 16-week music intensive returning with two children. The two dumbasses, the Grim Reaper, the alien scientists, and the good robots play a song broadcast around the world, and the band becomes famous. It's just a bunch of shit at the end. You don't even know what's going on. Everything comes to a climax that nobody is looking for. I do think it's kind of interesting that it's it's almost coincidental that anyone heard this song. Like, if it wasn't for, you know, Chuck Denomalos broadcasting it across the whole world, right. this wouldn't have worked. So he almost, like, foils himself. It seems like no one bothered to edit this screenplay. And then the rolling credits of the just adding on and adding on, like, now Death's on a magazine, and now they're on this magazine. They're on Rolling Stone magazine. He's on Vogue. It reminds me of the Hangover movies with all the photos. Yeah. Where, like, at a certain point, you're like, all right, enough with that. You know, we've seen how many debaucherous things could you have really done? You know what agreed, I mean? Agreed, agreed. But, but they thought this was going to be the last movie, no question. Sure. So it was, like, every possible thing. They've succeeded. They're going to change the world with this. Well, maybe they're not, Scott. Right. And that's the thing. And I think it's time. I think it's time that Bill and Ted face the music. 2020. 25 years later. The dumbasses are now old and have yet to write the one song that will unite the world and are thinking of calling it quits. Wasn't that the premise in the second movie, too? They couldn't write the song? But also at that time, it's like, well, they had plenty of time. They're so young, you know, like... Meanwhile, our own lives have gone on. I've gone to college. I've started a career. Yes. You've gone to college. We've... Our lives have continued. They're still 
trying to make their song. Yeah. Make the song. It's it's a lot less cute when you're damn near 50. Yeah. Doing that kind of shtick, you know? Keanu Reeves is forced to shave off his goatee and looks wan. Yeah. Looks very strange. <laughs> he looked much older than he actually is. He really did. Yeah. Keep the goatee. It's reasonable to think he might have one. Yeah. Enough already. The daughter of the man from the future arrives and takes the two dumbasses to the future, where they are told they must write a song by 7.17 p.m. or reality will collapse. The two dumbasses decide to time travel to the future and steal the song from their future selves. But every future self they meet is more pathetic than the last. And this is all nonsense now. Yes. Uh, th this whole breakdown with Bill and Ted going into the future to f get the song from themselves doesn't make any sense. How does that make any sense? Because if they didn't write the song by that night, there is no future. Right. So how are they going to the future and seeing themselves? They'd be dead. The filmmakers have anticipated the fact that this time travel element really doesn't make any sense. They say it in the movie. There's a, on the clock, it's like, it doesn't make any sense until the end. Right. I, I, so I just ignored all of the time travel paradoxes and anomalies that went with that. And I was like, well, fuck it. But it's the kind of thing, it doesn't quite hit the same way as, I'll set this up later, so I have it now. It's right. like, it's kind of a cute time travel joke where it doesn't really make sense, but you're like, okay, I'll let it go because it's funny and like it, it helps move the plot along. But this whole thing of them, we'll go to the future and get the song from ourselves when we've written it is like, what makes you think you're ever going to write it? Right. If you haven't written it by now, you were just going to call it quits and say this is it. So if you called it quits, you guys never wrote the song. It was lighter in the first one. Now the stakes are raised and you're like, wait a second. Right. Well, this is what I've always said about time travel movies, too. And I'm sure I've said it on multiple podcasts because we've yeah. done this before. Yeah. But the thing is, there are obviously some theories about how time travel works. And a lot of movies fall into a couple of categories of time travel. Sure. Is it, you know, an open loop? Is it cause and effect? Right. right? Like, right. But the thing is, with time travel movies, when you set the rules, you have to follow them. Agreed. Right? You have said that. So when you've set this rule that like, oh, they can do this thing after the fact and get it later, it doesn't quite translate. I know they were trying to make that joke into like a bigger idea. Right. Like, look, they're going to go get it later and give it to themselves. It's like it doesn't work the same way. And it was much more of a throwaway in the other movies. Exactly. And this has become an entire plot point. And they wait till the end of the third movie to say, oh, there are infinite possibilities, infinite universes. So so they try and justify it by the end. And you're saying, well, wait right. a second. Well, where I'm was that at the beginning? Right. I was going along with your trip this whole time. Come right. on. It's one thing if you say, like, time's all fucked up right now. So right now you can get into other versions of time and go to the universe where Bill and Ted did write the song and right. steal it and bring it back. Okay, that makes sense to me. That's It's almost like the Avengers time travel aspect. Cool. Okay, I can get into that. Set that up for me. And just one boring scene after another That's of the these problem. two guys who can't fucking act playing themselves two years older, three years older. It felt like sketch after sketch where they just wanted to put them in a bunch of makeup, right. watch them react to themselves in a bunch of makeup. I won't go so far as to say that they're terrible actors. I know you... The thing is, they're supposed to be playing themselves a few years later, and it's, like, laughable because it's, like, you're either playing it exactly the same or you're, like, ooh, and, like, after four years, now they're screamers. Like, yeah, well, it's... they're not the same people every few years. And, and, again, you know that manifestly they have to succeed or this wouldn't be existing. So the whole right. thing is, listen, I had to shut it off because I said, Vin, you're getting too cerebral about the idea of time travel and that's not what these movies are about but you're right right this was a failing of this third movie because at the same time although it is a bit of a parody and like a, almost like a joke or a spoof on time travel movies 
it always, in its purest form, is a time travel movie. Right. Like, to to spoof it, you have to be it, right? Right. Agreed. It, I mean, Airplane wouldn't have been a good spoof movie if it wasn't exactly fucking Zero Hour right. that it's based on. It's right. almost exactly that movie, thus making it an Airplane movie. Agreed. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, the man from the future's wife sends a robot to kill the two dumbasses, believing this will save the world. The daughter of the man from the future goes to warn the dumbasses, but instead finds their dumbass daughters, who want to help their dumbass dads write a dumbass song. The dumbass daughters go through time and recruit many different musicians from history, including Hendrix, Louis Armstrong, and Mozart. By far the best part of the movie. By yes. far, it, the whole movie should have been the daughters trying to recruit musicians. It's a brilliant idea, and yep. I can't believe they didn't think of it until this third movie. Yep. And Why that, was the second movie not them? Because they have to build this band, yep. right? Like, they've been talking about how integral to the movies this is. And I thought immediately, I was like, this is cool. Uh-huh. Because you get to see them in action. This was the fun part of the, the first one, right? Yep. Was that you got to see, like, oh, it's Freud, or oh, that's kind of funny. Exactly. Where, even, like, Freud has, like, a quick line. Like, I'll just throw it here, just to give an example of, like, they they did a really good job. Where, like, Freud sees him, like, oh, what's up there, fruit, or whatever. And he's like, this must be a dream. And yeah. you're like, oh, of course, because he's a dream guy. Like, you know. Sure. But it's, like, playing on the, the couple of facts that everybody knows about these historical and figures. And it works in this one because these musicians react the way you'd expect them to react. Right. You're right. It should have just been the daughters. When the daughters and the historical figures return, they are all killed by the robot. Meanwhile, the dumbasses <laughs> travel to the future to meet themselves on their deathbeds, where they are given a USB drive with the song on it. When the dumbasses return, they learn that their daughters are dead, and they kill themselves to rescue them from hell where they reconcile with their old friend, the Grim Reaper, who brings them back to life. Okay, so we're we're referencing both the time travel from the first movie and the afterlife from the second movie. It all comes full circle in this third film. Right. We get a taste of all of it here. Right. I didn't mind the, the afterlife part of the third movie. I thought it was the best part for all of these characters. Yeah. I liked all the shit going on in hell, to be honest with you. The two dumbasses realize that their daughters are the ones who are meant to write the song, and it must be played all across time and space to save the universe. The dumbasses use the time machine to travel through time, giving every person who ever lived an instrument to play along. The dumbasses lead on guitar while the dumbass daughters produce, and the universe is repaired. Yeah, this was really dumb for me because the logical ending is because you have with all the time travel, the world, the pyramids being here and the Eiffel Tower and cavemen, since they're all there, you should just be able to play the song and that will inspire everyone. The notion of then having to go back in time and giving everyone instruments Needless. Right. You have it there. You have the solution right in front of you, the plot solution, and you're adding shit. What, so you can get a credit cookie at the end where right. a bunch of people are playing fucking instruments? I don't know that being able to play instruments and rock and roll music will save the world so much as listening to an inspiring song. Right. So I feel like they had a logical ending there, and they just fucking muddled it up. Well, it also makes Bill and Ted not very important in that story at all, right? The whole thing is that Bill and Ted are the ones that inspired. There were statues of Bill and Ted everywhere. Right. And now, you know, they, and then they're like, oh, no, it's our daughter's. But then they're also leading on guitar, and well, also every other person who's ever lived or died is also playing an instrument. It's, so it's 25 years later, so they have to add a family element with it, which I appreciate. The daughters, they love their daughters. Okay, right. I can wrap my brain around that. But again, the idea that then there's another 
mechanic where they go back in time right. and they're giving instruments to people. And you haven't even mentioned because it was so un- unimportant. But what's with the wives traveling back in time? Yeah. It was needless. It was pointless. It was like to explain them not being in the movie. Yeah. Almost. Exactly. You know what I mean? They, they, they pop up once or twice. They're never really influenced by what they see. Yeah. I don't. It was. I don't Although know. I didn't I, get that at all. That could be a casualty of. I don't think they were done filming before COVID hit. Oh, right, because this came out what September? Yeah, something like that. Actually, a little earlier in the summer. Yeah, so right around there, and I think they were close to the end of filming, but I think they still were going to go back for like reshoot, or they were, they were maybe in the middle of doing reshoots to right. like finish out the movie. And I think they had to sacrifice it. That's why, if you remember, when we first looked this movie up. It was listed at about 75 minutes, yeah, which is not the runtime of the movie. Right. But I was talking to my brother. He was like, or the reason that people thought it was 75 minutes is because in the movie, they have like 75 minutes oh, to get it done. Okay. But the movie, it, there, it's longer than that. We perceived but like, it was going to be real time, but it wasn't. From when he like calls it out, like we've got 70 something right. minutes or something like that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. Because when we heard about this movie, we were like, what the fuck? The third movie is a se- What? Right. I thought I was like, fuck, this is going to be terrible. I'm sure if this and counts. It, it really wasn't much better than I thought it was going to be. But, you know. Listen, I didn't like the climax, but I didn't mind the resolution, meaning- I felt a little something when everyone was playing at the end and the universe was saved. I liked the moment when, you know, she says to George Carlin's daughter, your father would be very proud of you. Yeah. I I liked that. I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. But No, I mean, I usually am too. And honestly, I like the daughter angle. I know it's, you know, it's PC to make them daughters because in the end of the second movie, it was little Bill and little Ted. Right. But I actually think it's a very funny joke. And I was so glad they addressed it. Again, I thought that was the strongest plot line was them going to get- Should have just been them. Really? It should, and you know what? They should have been trapped. What if Bill and Ted died and were trapped in hell with death for most of the movie, and we just checked in with them yep. there? We get to the, fine. We get to the best part of the movie right off the bat, and the daughters are doing their funny thing, and we got a great movie. Right. You know? Yeah. And they're even talking about the prospect of making a fourth movie oh, boy. with just the daughters, and that's where we are. Yeah. And those are, uh, that was the plots. And they fulfilled me. Did they? Excellent! All right, Scott, you call it Vinformation. I call it information about each of the three movies in our trilogy. You know, what's interesting about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is it kind of came at the tail end of the 80s, where the 80s teen movie was kind of done. You know, the idea of the Valley Girl, Valley Boy, California movie was right. at its at its end, and it really it capitalized on something that most people were done with. Even the idea of heavy metal and that kind of thing was right. coming to an end, and it was somehow successful nonetheless. It received mixed reviews at the time. It's considered a cult classic now, but at the time, people didn't necessarily like this movie. But it definitely made some money. It was made for $10 million and made $40 million in the 80s. That's 80s money, and that's a big deal, of course. But Scott, I can see how a person that's not from my generation and looking back at the first Bill and Ted movie would think that it's silly and not very good. I mean, it's meant to be silly, you know? And I think if you either get the sense of humor or you don't, you know? And if you're not from the 80s, if you didn't grow up in the 80s, it's very specific for that time. Right. So if you don't appreciate the, the trends and the world of that time, it was as You a- just don't get it, Mom and Dad! All right, mister, what do you think you're doing? You call this a room? This is a pigsty. But it spawned a lot. It spawned a cartoon. It spawned a comic book. It spawned... Just a- like Spawn. That Spawn Spawn cartoon. Spawn spawned a comic and a cartoon and a movie. But not a serial, Scott. There was a Bill and Ted serial. And it was delicious. And it came 
with a bowl shaped like a phone booth. Much like there was a Ninja Turtle cereal that also came with a turtle-shaped bowl. Trilogy trend. The best of our trilogies often spawn cereals. No free willy cereal. Bill and Ted's excellent cereal. Cinnamon oats with marshmallow notes. It's the most triumphant part of this complete breakfast. The original screenplay by, um... But Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson had a lot of different characters. In fact, before Napoleon, it was going to be Adolf Hitler. Ooh. And I don't know that he can be made funny in the That's same way. That's a good way. switch. Yeah. You know what? That brings up a fair point about how nobody recognizes he's Napoleon. That's nobody goes, huh, the guy's dressed like Napoleon. He's wearing the hat and everything. But like, if it was Hitler, people would immediately be like, holy shit, it's Hitler. It, yeah. <laughs> Like, I think that would just ruin the movie on a base level. I mean, that they I don't know, know that a guy was. dressed as Hitler could go to a water park and get away with his antics. And Well, I mean, I guess they wouldn't really think he was Hitler. They would think he was a guy, you know, trying to be anti-Semitic a, a, at the water park. A, a horrible <laughs> anti-Semite enjoying a water park. Yeah. Wouldn't be as funny. Adolf Hitler never misses a party. The screenwriters Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson, they actually uh, they have a history Ed Solomon is a trilogy superstar. He also wrote the screenplay for Men in Black. Really? Okay. And Chris Matheson, he also wrote a movie that I know you love, the Goofy movie. I love a Goofy movie. All right. So, and the director, of course, is also a trilogy superstar. He he directed The Mighty Duck, Scott. Ah. Probably the reason we saw Hans. Yes. Again, later on. And if you remember last time we did Mighty Ducks, I couldn't stop calling him Chuck Denomalos the entire time. Exactly. It's the same guy, basically. Yeah. And um, Rufus originally was going to be played. They wanted Eddie Van Halen for it. You know, yeah, they certainly sense. they mentioned Eddie Van Halen throughout the first movie, but they couldn't afford him. I guess I guess Carlin's kind of a counterculture guy, though. And that's kind yeah. of what they're looking for. Yep. You know. Then we go to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey in 1991. It was originally called, as you said earlier, Bill and Ted Go to Hell. Right. And what's weird is critics seem to like this one more than the first one. They had a bigger budget, $20 million, double the budget, and made a profit, $38 million, but by no means was it a mega success. Yeah. The director, whose name I didn't bother to write down, also directed the Garfield movie. Huh. Are you a fan of the Garfield movie? No. Is anyone? No. So do you have any regrets? Garfield, maybe. They actually did make a Marvel comic, though, for this one as well. Okay, yes. so Marvel, at this point, this is before the world of the Avengers, comics were hanging on by a thread. They were failing. And so they time. were trying to kind of glom onto anything. There was a comic of everything back then. Yeah. Beavis and Butthead comics, fucking Simpsons comics, everything. Right. And then you get to face the music 25 years later. Okay, that script was in production from 2010 up until it was filmed in 2019. And only because Keanu Reeves re-entered the pop cultural stratosphere with John Wick right. did any of the studios have any interest. They thought it was more of a culty series of films, and then Wick hit. I think they thought that they can sell anything with Keanu Reeves because he became internet famous where people were like, oh, you know, Keanu well, is, you is had my the, bae. And yeah, like, the you famous know. meme, the sad Keanu picture. Sure. Where he's sitting on the park bench, being sad. His life is sad. People started to do funny things with that um, sad Keanu. But uh, you're not sad. I'm well. Yeah. No. I'm normal. <laughs> we, we all go through phases of happy and sad. The first two movies were not international releases, and nowadays, so much of what we expect with regard to the profits in a film have to do right. with their international release. So there was some. Is you know, China going to buy it? Is the big question. Exactly, you and know. so that was one of the big issues: is anyone overseas care about Bill and Ted? Right. This movie did not make money in the theaters because of COVID. Okay. Right. It was released 
nationally, it had many screens, over a thousand screens, but um, it was made for $25 million and only grossed $6.1 million. But a lot of that was made up because at the same time it was released streaming Netflix at the same time. It was right. very popular for many weeks afterwards. So it wound up being a success, but not in the same way that the, the first two movies were. Yeah. But yet the third movie also garnered the best reviews. I think people realized what they were going into when they saw it. And they realized that it's just what we described. It was going to be a, a nostalgia trip. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the actors that were in all three movies, Scott. And there aren't too many. Right off the bat, we've got Keanu Reeves. Keanu was a complicated type of actor. This is definitely the movie that broke him wide open and made him a star. Around the same time, he was in Parenthood, which was a great film. Yes. He was in in comedies. He was in Point Break, which, don't kid yourself, is a comedy. Okay? We We can pretend that Point Break is a real action movie. But everyone that saw Point Break at the time remembers it as a a ridiculous sort of comedic. Yeah. You know, when you jump out of a plane with no parachute in hopes of tackling a guy with a parachute. Well, it's, you know, one of the other trilogies we've covered, Hot Fuzz. They talk about Point Break extensively and how ridiculous it is. Exactly. Good point. But, you know, Keanu is a story throughout the 90s of hits and misses, of comebacks and successes. Yeah. Okay, because... A couple of years after that, he made Speed, which was a gigantic hit. Speed's great. Maybe in spite of him, you could probably have put other actors in that role. For sure. Because the Speed is Speed is a concept movie more so than a, a tribute to the acting of Keanu Reeves. But he doesn't ruin the movie with his dipshittedness. No. You know? Um, but there's a lot of bombs in there, too, whether it be Johnny Mnemonic in the 90s or right. Little Buddha or Chain Reaction. Yeah. You know, these are not big hits. But then towards the late 90s, he comes back again. Devil's Advocate, a, a movie I know you really like. Yes. I'm a fan of man! But again, is that really a Keanu movie or is that an Al Pacino movie? That's a Pacino movie. There you go. Because if Pacino's not in that movie, I wouldn't like that movie at all. And there you have it. You know? I mean, his span from 89 to 99 is really an interesting group of movies that worked and didn't work. Until you get to 99 where we get The Matrix. Matrix, yeah. Now, as of this recording, Scott, Keanu Reeves is a trilogy superstar. Yes. They haven't released the fourth Matrix yet, so in our minds, it's still a trilogy. Right. And they haven't released the the, the the fourth John Wick movie yet, so that's still a trilogy. All I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. But once we get to the 2000s, you're not seeing very many successes from Keanu at all, okay? He's doing a lot of romantic comedies yeah. that suck. Something's got to give. Um, November something. Is it him and Charlize Theron and yeah. she's like dying or something like that? Constantine is not a good movie. Oh, Constantine blows. Um, Scanner Darkly. You're thinking of The Lake House. That's the one you were thinking of before maybe with Charlize. Maybe that's what I'm thinking okay. of, Lake House. His, all of his romantic comedies didn't work. No. And then Wick 2014 and made him a star again. Right. John Wick is a big success in a time where action movies and s- celebrities and stars from the past aren't doing very well. Right. So it's to his credit that he's able to reinvent himself again, honestly. Yeah. But I mean, even after John Wick, he's done a ton of movies that you've never heard of. Bad Batch, The Whole Truth, To the Bone, Destination Wedding. What are these things? I have uh, been a part of some films that have been embraced. Um, and I am very grateful I think of him almost as Nick Cage, an actor that was big yeah. in the 90s and for a period of time and has tried to reinvent himself in our time with middling success. I don't think that Nick Cage has had a John Wick-like success. Yeah. 
but they're still plugging away. They're I plugging see, away. I find them similar, and maybe it's because I like to do impersonations, but I, I find that Keanu and uh, Nicolas Cage are very close in, like, the breathiness of the, oh. like... Yeah, we have to do this. Like <laughs> yeah. that's like your Keanu, yeah. and then like your Nicolas Cage. Like, oh, we gotta do it. Like you know, like yeah. they're both like very similar in that. No doubt about they're it. They're pushing a lot of air out. <laughs> right. What am I a fucking retard, man? Am I a fucking retard? Oh! I think you see a lot of times this day and age, and I think this is true with Keanu, that people are so sick of having heroes who disappoint them later in life. Yeah, they find that they're like scumbag people, and Agreed. they've done these horrible things. And Keanu is one of those guys who has been shit on his whole career because he doesn't have great range. Right. Right. But I think people just at the end of the day went, he's been working steadily for 30 he's, years. He's kind of famous for being a good guy. And he's a nice guy. Yeah. You know? What do you think happens when we die, Keanu Reeves? <laughs> I know that the ones who love us will miss us. Scott, you might find this interesting, but um, Alex Winter is actually a Montclairian. He no shit. Went to Montclair High. He uh, yeah. he graduated from the Tisch School in New York, but he's mostly a director. He was actually famous before Keanu Reeves. He was one of the vampires in the Lost Boys. He played Marco. He got spiked hanging upside down. But after that, he did a lot of TV and a lot of directing. He did a show called The Idiot Box on MTV right after Bill and Ted, which mm. was not successful, more of a sketch comedy show. But I remember being an MTV guy at the time, watching it and being like, oh, Alex Winter's doing something. Sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, it was yeah. not a success, but he's mostly been a director uh, over time. He also directed The Andy Milanakis Show, which huh. don't put that on your fucking tombstone. No. I mean, or your resume. Seriously, if I could, if I saw Andy Milanakis walking down the street, I'd punch him in the face as hard as I could. Isn't he dead? I hope so, but I don't think so. Because it's my show. You can't tell me what to do. When life hands me lemons, I make beef stew. The other actors that were in all movies were the uh, the stepmother. Um, Missy. Missy. It was played by an actress named Amy Stock. Stack? Stock? How's it spelled? S-T-O-C-H. Stouch. She actually was famous for having a, a, an enduring part on Dallas in the 80s. But other than that, oh. hasn't done very much. And the father of Keanu Reeves, Hal Landon Jr. And again, he was an 80s TV guy. So those are the people that were in all four. Now, we should probably mention George Carlin as well. He wasn't yes. exactly in the third one. Some stock footage was used. Right. But it was mentioned enough. And he was- If uh, he were alive, he definitely would have been in the No third. question about yeah. it. George Carlin is a stand-up comedian that pretty much every stand-up on earth just emulates and loves. For me, I never found him very funny. I thought he was clever, witty, made great points about our society, but never like, ha, ha, ha. It's it's delightful wordplay yeah. is really what it is. Good. But I mean, it's mostly um, him just sort of telling as it is and being kind of this cranky government don't give a shit about you right they're gonna sell you up a river like you know a throwback to um lenny bruce kind of telling it as it is in a period of time where people weren't honest about themselves right you know but that sort of thing is is it's not so much comedy as it is it's, commentary it's, it, right exactly kevin smith loved the shit out of him because he was in a lot of the later and less successful Kevin Smith movies. Well, Dogma. You're right. He Dogma was, was pretty successful. You're right. But after that, he was in New Jersey. Jersey Girl. But that's George Carlin for you, basically. Right. I, I, listen, you can go on and listen to some George Carlin videos on YouTube. I can't be the one to judge George Carlin for you. Yeah. And I won't. I mean, he's he has had some great jokes. 
I will say. I think some of his mid-career stuff is probably his best stuff before he got really, not, not negative, but really kind of sardonic and, you know. Maybe the whole thing about stuff, the idea of stuff, you right. get a house to get more stuff. That's a pretty funny like, riff. And everything, did. your stuff is your stuff, stuff but other yeah. people's stuff is shit. It's yep. crap. It's, yep. you know. Or the, the I love the the old bit of like you know when you're getting on the airplane they're like they're like get on the plane sir get on the plane sir fuck you I'm getting in the plane. <laughs> That's all your house is. Your house is just a place for your stuff. If you didn't have so much goddamn stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You could just walk around all the time. Which I think Scott leads us into our deep and detailed discussion of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Bill. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Right off the bat, Scott, we should probably talk about some of the uh, actors that we saw in this movie that are trilogy superstars or that we might have seen in the past. Mm. The guy that played Genghis Khan, Al Leong, he was in Beverly Hills Cop 3, but that dude has been in every action movie of the 80s. Isn't he also the guy from Die Hard? He's in Die Hard. He's in Lethal Weapon. He's the guy that tortures with the electricity. Yeah, yeah, where he's got the sponges and everything. Yep, yep. And Bernie Casey, the black guy that plays the history professor. Oh, yeah. As you know, I love him from one of the best comedies of all time, Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. He's the head of the Lambda Lambda Lambdas. That's right. But um, he was also in the mouth of madness. He's sitting at the table when the guy smashes the axe through the window. Oh. He's sitting with Sam Neill. He plays like Sam Neill's agent or whatever. Right. And we talked about him a little bit when we did that movie too. Oh, yeah. So a little trilogy superstardom there. Joan of Arc is played by Jane Wydland, who was in the Go-Go's. Not so surprising that in a movie like Bill and Ted, they cast a, a rock star, a new wave star. But kind of an interesting casting decision, right? <laughs> Bill S. Preston, Esquire. Yes. Esquire has nothing to do with anything. That's what you tack no. on to a lawyer's name, right? right? I, I, and, and also, Ted Theodore Logan. It should really be Theodore Ted Logan. Yeah, Ted's why, the nickname. Why would you put your proper name in quotes in the middle there? That's my name. Don't wear it out. You know, Clarence Clemens as one of the most, you know, one of the future guys. God, he just looks like a jackass. I, you know? <sighs> He looks like a jackass in real life. Anytime you see a Bruce Springsteen show and Clarence Clemens is doing something, he just looks like an idiot. Maybe I'm just anti-Clarence Clemens. He's he's dead. Let him rest in peace. You're right. I, I went too far. Clarence, you gonna get a new saxophone this year? Oh, yeah, gotta be good. The E Street you Band. You better watch out. No one knows anyone <laughs> in the E Street Band except for maybe Clarence Clemens. Max Weinberg yeah, kinda, of the Max Weinberg 7 yeah, on, on Conan O'Brien. You kind of know him. You know, yeah. Max Weinberg also did the drums for Bat Out of Hell. Get you smiling as you talk about meatloaf. I love Bat Out of Hell. Just yeah, keep going. Okay. I will not be ashamed about my love for Bat Out of Hell. All right, all right. I will right. be ashamed about my love for Bat Out of Hell too, though. <laughs> and I would do anything for love. Oh, I would do anything for love. I would do anything for love. But I won't do that. No, I won't. The language in these movies is very strange because these guys are playing California Valley guys. Yeah. Yet they're mixing in a strange bunch of words that are 
definitely above their head. They're great in English class, terrible in history class. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I want to see the other movie where they ace their English report, no problem, with no help <laughs> from anyone. Where the English teacher's like, you guys are the smartest like, two we've Jesus ever... Christ. How do you know these words? Nickelodeon presents Bill and Ted's Excellent Dictionary. Wow. Let's talk about Missy. I think the running gag that they use for all three movies out of Missy is funny. Very funny. funny. Agreed. She's at most, what, 22? Yeah. And she married your dad? Yeah. Who's like, I mean, that guy's got to be in his late 40s Solidly at least. 40s, yeah. yeah. Like, they're having a whole conversation, and Missy comes in, and then Bill's dad ushers them out of Bill's room so he can bang her in his son's room. Yeah. That's just weird. It is. Obviously, dad's got a lot of problems. Add that to, like, their favorite number is 69, dude. Right. Like, mm, yeah. That really refers to quite a sexual act. Sure. You know, which doesn't- A fun it, one, too. Doesn't fit with this movie, necessarily. <laughs> okay, so let's all open up our reading is fun books to page 69. 69. <laughs> the question really is, where are the mothers? Yeah. Where are they? None, We only right? see their fathers. We don't- Where- Where the- That's- the, How often do the mothers just leave the scene and two guys live with their fathers. kind of fucked up. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of, you know, no female representation there of their mothers. I never I never really considered that, but yeah. yeah. Your stepmom is cute, though. Shut up, Ted. Remember when I asked her to the prom? Shut up, Ted! There's the whole scene where, like, he's like, you're not going out anywhere. Uh, I need to find my keys, and you have to stay here and study. And they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And then they devise this whole plan where he calls as, like, Captain Van Halen and is like, you need to get down the station right away because we found your keys. He's like, all right, I'm going down the station to get my keys. How are you going to the station if you don't have your keys? And as a police officer, surely you know there's no no Captain Van Halen. Deputy Van Halen. He's like, yeah. Deputy Van Halen? That doesn't make any... Like, we're not sheriffs. Like, it's that not, whole it's scene was a bit station. of a strange throwaway where they had to delay Ted for a second and... But that's the funny thing, right? They go through all that trouble, they call him to get him to leave, and then they leave the house before he leaves. Yeah, I mean, they're out the door. Like, they don't even wait for him to go. You could have thrown a rock through the back window and then left. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered. You wouldn't have to make that whole phone call. Yeah. Ted's if... father doesn't pick up on the entire thing till like, the end of the third movie in hell. Yeah. Only there does he realize what's been going on. Only in death. Yeah, well, you know. Isn't, isn't that like life, though? Yeah. Mm? <laughs> <laughs> Once all the action begins in the Old West, why does that whore jump onto the bar and just start kicking people and just going crazy? <laughs> I don't understand why, how that figures in. I guess in the Old West, when chaos was happening, you're like, fuck it, everyone, Every, everyone goes crazy. <laughs> yeah, Kick yeah. whoever you can. <laughs> I, kept, I kept expecting to see Back to the Future 3's Biff Join into this, <laughs> yeah, this old you west mean, mad dog Tannen. <laughs> That's right. In? Why wasn't he there? Hey, McFly. <laughs> oh, and then when they leave the old west, they go back to the phone booth and it's parked next to one of the outhouses. And yeah. I was just waiting for them to be like, oh man, someone shit in the time machine. Yeah. <laughs> it was too, you know what? It was too convenient. It should have, there should have been a joke. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. That's got to be the primary reason there are no phone booths anymore, though. I think you're onto something there, Scott. Uh, I don't know what you're onto, but. I don't know what you're on. But. Doesn't smell very good. <laughs> and then they get to medieval England, blink and you miss it, but you've got Socrates and Billy the Kid throwing a football in the background, and he's kind of like showing Socrates how to play football. It's oh really funny. It's, but it's ridiculous, too, because like you can tell like they're like, yeah, toss the football back and forth, but... Don't toss it too much. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, well, you're one foot away from each other. Because like, it's way too distracting. Throw it slower like you don't know how a football works. 
but you also know how a football works. And like, there's no reason to think that either of them would know how a football works. Right. He there was no football. Socrates, at the last minute, feigns like a, a behind the back and then <laughs> thinks better of it and throws it forward. What? How could Billy the Kid and Socrates, a guy that doesn't speak English, have devised any kind of escape plan at all? How could they know what's going on? Right. What? Socrates would have been useless. Yeah. At least Billy's got guns, you know? Wouldn't he have just come in and started shooting? Just start shooting people. He is Billy the Kid. He robbed his way from Utah to Oklahoma. But here's the important thing. His age and his size took the teller by surprise. Now you're getting out of control here, Scott. So the question is, who do we believe with respect to Billy the Kid, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, or the Billy Joel song? I don't know. He seems to know a lot about it, because he was a boy from Oyster Bay, Long Island, and he carried a six-pack in his hand. You notice I switched to my Billy Joel voice. As long as you don't get on a Down East Alexa and start fishing for crabs or whatever the fuck. There's no stripers here! <laughs> Meanwhile, the fishermen are like, leave us alone, Billy. We, You're not speaking for us. We've got our own problems. Tell my wife I am stolen Atlantis. The fishermen are looking over at his boat, and they're like, that's a that's a yacht you're on, you asshole. I've got to catch a trout. We went into a whole Billy riff when we, when we talked about the hangover, too. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> we did. They quickly, uh, they go to the future, and I'm just waiting for, like, why is there never the reaction of them going, these are the guys? <laughs> oh, we are so fucked. We've wasted our lives. We've been worshiping these assholes. Imagine if Jesus showed up to the the Vatican and was just like, yo, dude, what's up? And the Pope like, oh. Oh, oh. no. We made a big mistake oh, here. Oh, Espirito Santo. Oh, this is no good. Couldn't you at least <laughs> to cut your hair or something, anything? Oh, mamma mia. Even though the Pope is clearly not Italian. Well, <laughs> he's in Italy. It's close, it's close enough. Yes. They get to the mall, and we already talked- All the mall madness. We talked a little bit about the mall madness, but I like the fact that Sigmund Freud is eating a corn dog. You know, penis envy idea. Yeah. Pretty slick. You know what I was waiting for, though, in that scene? Like, it's him kind of, like, hitting on those girls or whatever, and they're like, oh, my God, you are such a geek. And he's like, what is geek? I don't know what geek is. But I was really waiting for him to just walk away, and he's like, well, that really hurts my ego. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) Beethoven's deaf, right? Yes. So he wouldn't hear a keyboard. And then he's in the thing playing going, oh, listen to that. I'm like, well, it's, it's digital. You can't feel it. Because the only way Beethoven supposedly played the piano is he could feel the vibrations. He's standing there losing his mind over silence. Ooh, oh, nothing's happening. <laughs> like, that makes no sense. They keep cutting back to the presentation now. And there's the one guy before him giving the horrible presentation. Like, and everyone's laughing at him, and he doesn't know what to do. And he's just like, San Dimas High School Football Rules! But they use that again in Billy Madison at the end of his speech, his response to business ethics or whatever. Nip High Football Rules! It's kind of funny. You referenced the movie from only six years ago. Billy Madison is a relative of Bill and Ted. Don't kid yourself. Sure. And you know who else is? Wayne's World. Exactly. Because they use a, to say that. Thank you. Because they, they use a not, I believe, in the second movie. Not. And that would have come out around the same time, 92-ish, 91, 92. Right. The movie was, what, 92? But the sketch had been going on for a couple of years before the movie. Right. But kind of same time. They are definitely cousins of Bill and Ted. Yeah. Yep. Swing. Swing. I thought it was funny, though, in, in the presentation, Billy the Kid takes his gun out again. 
fires his gun and shoots the light out. Nobody cares. Someone just fired a gun in a high school auditorium <laughs> and nobody reacted yeah, to it. Yeah, it's the 80s. Weird. When Abe Lincoln says, be excellent to each other, it's it's moving. I don't know. No. It's He starts it by saying, four score and seven minutes ago, we were brought here. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make sense. That yeah. means 80 Ace, years and, and seven minutes ago, you well, were brought here. You're not an idiot. <laughs> You're Abraham Lincoln. You know what it means. Party on, dudes! At the end, it's touching. You know, we get the whole thing with Rufus. <laughs> Not only that, right? They, they He sets up like, yeah, all of you are going to be in the band, and you're going to have to eventually learn how to play your instruments and write a song that's going to be so impactful, it'll change the whole world. And it's kind of like, oh, I mean, like, I didn't know if I was going to see him after next summer. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, this is high school. Now, I just have one further humble request. If I might be so honored... To jam with you. One, two, one, two, three, four. They do get better. It's it's a great last line of. But I was also like, did he mean the movies? Because <laughs> they don't. Because he's lying. <laughs> Which brings us to Bill and Ted's bogus journey. How's it going, Bill and Ted? Ted, it's us again. Trilogy superstar, Chuck Denomalos. Joss Ackland. We loved him so much as Hans in two of the three Mighty Ducks. I believe you were the one that insisted that he was a secret Nazi. Oh, no question about it. We also had William Sadler, Trilogy Superstar Scott, Iron Man 3. Ah, he's the president. President. That's Most right. people know him, of course, from Die Hard 2 and from the Shawshank Redemption. And while we're talking about Trilogy Superstars, it's good old Chelsea Ross, who plays Colonel Oates. He was, of course, in Major League as yes, Harris. The know. guy who had the beef with Serrano. You trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? Okay, Harris, let's not start a holy war here. <laughs> in Bill and Ted's bogus journey, we see a future, Scott, that is very felt and foam rubber. Where was the budget for this movie? There's also that first scene where Denomalos comes in and they're setting up the TV. That's all styrofoam. Yeah. Every, every piece you're handling right now is made of styrofoam. It has absolutely no weight to it. You're not pretending it has any weight Where's to it. Where's the budget? We don't see the budget early on. We see it later, but early on you're like, this is the fucking future? What is this? Maybe it was a reshoot. Hans was probably being prosecuted in Israel at the time and they had to bring him back. <laughs> right, yeah. For He's hanging shot. out in Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You won't get away with it. Time will tell. Time has told. I will go back and change that. I think the robots, when they reveal themselves and they take off their skin, it looks like 2XL with teeth. Like, yeah. it just it just doesn't look good. We learn later that the, the robots are, are rapists because yes. in the one shot, they're trying to take advantage of the princesses. Yeah, with their robot penises. I mean, but look, if I'm a, a robot that's come back in time to kill Bill and Ted, do I have any scruples? Does it no, really matter? No, you're programmed to be evil. It's not your fault. It's I mean, Chuck Denomalos' fault. Yes, yes, I should program them to rape. <laughs> I shall also program them to hire. Oh, no. <laughs> he wants it because he knows that it is there inside of you. It's the princess's birthday or something. Yeah. And on the cake, it's like 521st birthday. <laughs> all right. Like, no, it's not. They didn't <laughs> live all those years. That doesn't make any sense. I get it's a joke, but it sucks. It's a shitty joke. <laughs> it's a bad, bad joke. Yeah, well, they're You've going... wasted a cake. They're... <laughs> all right, Scott. Throw it in the garbage. <laughs> you wanted cake, you got cake. Now 
Also, he again mentions he's going to send him to military school. It's been five years. He's at least 23. You can't send your adult son to military school. What, are you going to send him to the Citadel? You can't be sent anywhere. <laughs> You're an adult. And he's, you thre- get to decide he's threatening you Bill, too. Bill's like, well, I'm, not, I'm not your son, man. You're not yeah. sending me anywhere. Yeah, go talk to my depressed dad yeah, and tell me you want to take him obviously away. Obviously, my father will let me do anything. What are yeah. you fucking talking about? Oh, I'm about? sure he'll be on board with you after you're banging his wife. <laughs> Let me tell you something. He is very talented, that actor, though, because when Ted possesses his body, he does a great impression of his son. It's yes. right on. It's really, really good. And in comparison, the guy from Total Recall yeah. uh, does a terrible job being Bill. Doesn't even try. But let me say, this is my favorite memory from this first movie. I made my sister finally watch her. I was watching the movie, and I was like, come, you have to finally see this scene, because I've been quoting it forever, but yeah. I always see the... I totally believe you, dude. Whoa, <laughs> donuts. Like, I've just been quoting that for years. You've been quoting that random yes. scene from Bogus Just because Journey? I found it so ridiculous because he's not even attempting to sound like Bill. He's just very excited about those donuts. Quaid, take the pill. You're not on Mars, Quaid. <laughs> now, this is the plan. Get your ass to Mars. In that seance scene, I did notice, though, there's the chant that she uses to send them back to hell or whatever in the book. Yeah. But because I was watching with the captions on, I realized the chant backwards is Ed and Chris will rule the world. No shit. Yeah. And I was like, wait, what? And I looked at the writers. I'm like, well, there you go. It's That's Ed awesome. And Chris. Nice. Yeah. Nice catch. I didn't find that in any of the trivia at all. That's a good one. I heard her like do it. And I'm like, it sounds so specific. Like, yeah. What could it be? And I'm reading the thing on the bottom. I'm like, oh my God. It's just Ed That's and Chris will awesome. rule the world backwards. Very like, good. All right. And I would like to contact Ty Cobb. We see hell. No, but once I, they get into the like the corridors of hell, I was like, all right. See, I always like that because I always quote that fucking Easter bunny. Those stars, the little brothers, who's the best? Like, I, <laughs> for some reason, that's been stuck in my head since I was a child. Because, <laughs> like, they're silly, but at the same time, like, these are relatable kid nightmares. Yeah, of, like, I guess so. What uh, was like, the trilogy we talked about that had a lot of dream sequences in it? And we were like, oh, I'm not sure about these dream sequences. Is look it? who's talking. Exactly. Right. So when you insert dream sequences they're only peripherally connected to the story it can be hit or miss so right. they hit for you for me they didn't work the bunny the devil and station are all voiced by the great voice actor frank welker yeah i believe he did some transformers uh, he was voices. optimus prime right uh he was also scooby-doo okay um he's like voice royalty believe it or not i was Smokey the bear only you can prevent forest fires. So all the various games they play against death, the spoof of Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. In the original movie, a knight is playing death uh, in chess for his soul. Very funny. You'd think, though, that death would have a version of electronic battleship? Because really, no one's yeah. playing the original battleship. Because that game is not interesting. And it's barely interesting when you've got the electronic version. That game is such a pain in the ass to clean up. Uh, those little no. fucking pegs. You drop those pegs anywhere, and it's game over. Just like life. Yeah, it's like a metaphor for life. No, I'm talking about the game of life. <sighs> I feel like you really sunk my battleship. <laughs> you sunk my battleship! Did you notice the Smokey and the Bandit 3 reference that they make? Yes, Smokey and the Bandit 3, Smokey is the Bandit, which I think is weird they bring that up because like now nobody calls it that. It's kind of strange that they would even know that and also weird that Einstein would know it. I love it when one trilogy references another, though. Excellent stuff. Yes. I gotta barbecue your assy molasses! Uh, the hardware store is kind of funny, I guess. 
I like Death's reaction when they get to the Home Depot. Sees the guy smoking, and he's like, see you soon. Funny, yeah. little, looking yeah. at different sickles and axes and things. He's funny. Yeah. It's good. This is where we get um, the two little stations smashed together and become one large station. For some reason, this time watching it, when they smashed together, when the tall one stood up, I was like, is that trilogy superstar Liam Neeson? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, he looks terrible. His hair's so long. I've contracted AIDS. I'm riddled with it. First of all, this Battle of the Bands is televised. First, first question. Where? And then Bill and Ted are going to go and play last at this Battle of the Bands. Right. Yeah, you always want your worst band playing last. Yeah, we're led to believe they're Good somehow choice. better than Primus. Right, and then Primus is playing. Say, <laughs> Pepper, do you want to lay down with me? Say, Pepper, do you want to lay down by my side? Pepper, do you want to lay down with me? Say, Pepper, say, Pepper. Why is the crowd cheering? What are they cheering for? They're cheering before any music happens. What? Right. You, how do they even know what's going on here? What? What are you excited about? Yeah, like we don't understand. We weren't here for the beginning of the movie, so we don't know. Did you just watch a white man emerge from a black lady? Did he just unzip a black lady <laughs> and come out of her? Yeah. What? Is that what you're cheering for? That's what I love too. When he's doing that, you hear some guy like, "Yeah, take it off, baby," and then what? it's like, "Oh, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, George Christ. Carlin, <laughs> like, George Carlin's underneath her skin." Poor Pam Greer. Death is too easy for you, bitch. I want you to suffer. And then Scott, you get the shot at the end of like different people watching the show at home and like loving it. I, I wrote down, "Wow, they've won over ethnic stereotypes," which is all that that is. It's yeah. like Chinese guy watching yeah. it, like uh, Italian yeah. guy, fat greasy Italian watching <laughs> soccer. Like, yeah. Oh, great! And literally before he gets cut off and the TV changes, I just go, "Bello, bello, bello!" <laughs> Seriously, I'm like, come you know, on, one word in Italian. Come, like, come on, it's right. akin to the end of. Independence Day, where every country's stereotype is cheering at the sky. Hey! <laughs> yeah, yeah. A guy with a spear in Africa is like, oh! Yeah. Cool, I'll just throw the spear into that ship. We don't have fucking jet fighters here, okay? <laughs> we have spears. <laughs> and lions. <laughs> the one other thing I want to say about the, when they show those people, I don't know if you noticed, but there's the British family they show. And it's William Sadler, William Sadler as himself. Playing, gets Actually, to I be think, out of makeup. I think, he's, I think that's Australian. No, what no. makes you say that? There's a kangaroo in the background. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Think, I think you were maybe watching uh, fucking Quigley Down Under. Quigley Down Under. <laughs> <laughs> I found the, this last line. The best place to be is here, and the best time to be is now. And for some reason, I found that strangely deep at the end. Mm. Where it was like, it's the Bill and Ted way of thinking, right? Yeah. It's kind of like a stupid simplicity, but it's so simple, it's true. In every respect, the best place to be is here, and the best time to be is now. Always. That's true. No matter what. It's almost way. akin to Andy saying in The Office in the finale, where it's like, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. And that is a logical transition, my friend, to Bill and Ted face the music. Look, guys, we know exactly what you're thinking. Why would we be playing open mic night at 6.15 p.m. when, in fact, we have become such huge rock stars again? Yeah. Here's the answer. Yeah. Us being here is humorously ironic. You got Kristen Schaal playing the daughter 
of the Rufus character of George Carlin. She's a trilogy superstar, by the way. She did some voices in um, Despicable Me. Who thought that she was the most like Carlin, like she, the female version of Carlin? She doesn't get good Carlin. until they get to hell. When she get when they get to hell, she sounds a little bit like she's Bob's burgering it up a little bit, and you can hear her effectiveness yeah. there when she's getting like angry and yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, she sounds like Louise. And I'll see you in hell, Teddy. I'm sorry, Teddy. I will uh. see you in hell. Alex Winter doesn't have Bill in him anymore. Yeah. Because I always thought like his Bill was a good compliment to the Ted. And he had a good Valley voice for it. And I feel like now to recreate it sounds weird. Their daughters talk like they used to. So they should also talk like they used to, right? Right. Yeah. I just can't tell you how much I loved Ted's daughter in this movie. Cute. She perfectly mimics Ted. I just yeah. thought she was the highlight of the film. I thought she was good. I mean, I thought she was better than Billy. Yeah. They feel like our kids in that way. David Grohl's pretty funny, that little cameo where he yeah, pops in. Yeah, that was kind of nice. <laughs> I thought it was funny that he's he's like today's equivalent of like a rock star sure. that you would throw in there. Like, <laughs> yeah, Grohl will come out for it, sure. Dave Grohl! Who are you guys? What are you doing in my house? But I love the whole daughter's story. Love them meeting Louis Anderson and Hendrix. Armstrong. So Louie Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest musician in history, <laughs> Louie Anderson. And my mom said, <laughs> I think to myself, I should give salmon another try. He makes it look so delicious. Apparently, all of the time travel in this movie is justified through... Kid Cudi. We've seen that before in movies where the, the character who least would be intelligent all of a sudden bursts in with some knowledge, and that's the joke. I think one of the most interesting aspects of Milwaukee is the fact that it's the only major American city to have ever elected three socialist mayors. Does this guy know how to party or what? There's a part where he hugs... He is like Bill hugs himself, and he goes... Teodoro Guillermo, yeah. <laughs> like in his ear, and I'm like, what? <laughs> that is a little bit weird. Teodoro Anton. I thought that the entire movement, once they get to hell, is pretty funny. The, the, the two plots kind of converge there. No one really cares that they're all dead. They just assume they can escape death. Right. They're all dead. But none of them have been through. It's one thing for Bill and Ted to go, we'll figure this out. Because we always figure everything out because we just dumbass Everyone else our way is like, through hey, life. Hey, we're in hell. Oh, well. But like they all automatically like, all right, let's get out of here. What do you mean get out of here? <laughs> you're, de you're dead. It's hell. Like, yeah. it's over. If only humans could accept their demise in such a peaceful and thoughtful way. Well, I guess you're forced to, right? I mean. Why are they even sent to hell? They die. What did the what did these famous figures and the and the daughters do to go to hell? Why wouldn't they go to heaven? You know, fair point. What did Bill and Ted do in the first place? That robot went to hell. Fucking what was his name? David? Kevin? Kevin Devin? Something like that. Kevin Chang? <laughs> I don't, <laughs> That's I don't not think him. it's close enough. Kevin Carlos. You keep using ethnic names. I don't think <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Anthony Carrigan. My name is Dennis Kellen McCoy. I thought the whole backstory with death where he leaves the band, there's a lawsuit, they take out a restraining order against him. I thought all that was pretty funny. It was certainly good to see death. Like, I, yeah. I loved William Sadler, so um, it was nice to have him back. And it connects, obviously, with, the, you know, the end of the second movie right. and all, like, the magazines of them. In our trilogy world, it made sense. Right. So I can appreciate that, but it also seemed like a 
pointless pit stop. Well, you know, I think I want to see William Sadler, but I right. just thought if there was a more organic way to work, you know, him I in, think one of the flaws might might have been the fact that he says very little in the second movie and gets a lot out of it. And in yeah. this one, he's talking and there's a lot of exposition. And so you're making death who you think of as someone that's kind of stoic. Yeah, stoic. And now all of a sudden he's talking with an accent to going on and on. Yeah. Sadler's wrinkled white face is showing his age a little bit. And you're like, oh, yeah, geez, yeah. okay. A little puckered looking. Yeah, uh, you're not doing calisthenics naked anymore, buddy. No more Tai Chi. They give him a bit of a Brady Bunch house, which is kind of funny, though. It's a <laughs> yeah, little... it's kind of funny. <laughs> like, what is that house? I will say, I do like Bill and Ted's daughters are trying to convince death, and they're talking about his, like, his, his hits. And one of the albums was Pale on Pale. Yeah, it's pretty good. Which is clearly a reference to Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde. Right, right, like, right. But I, I, I was like, oh, I like that. Like, I like some of those things. Now there's like, a couple of good lines. I isn't a wild stallions. Have you come to sue me again? And like I said, at the end, the whole thing where they're giving out the guitars to everyone on Earth, just not necessary. There are not enough instruments on the planet to give to everyone who has ever lived. And how can they all play? How how do they know how to play? Right, I said that too. It's like, what about the people who aren't musically inclined? They're going to go, oh, I don't know what the fuck to do with this. Like, What am I supposed to do with this Are thing? they just the evil people who aren't united with you? Are they yeah. like anyone who can't play an instrument now is like in Denomalos' crew? And <laughs> Meanwhile, you're getting the wrong instrument. You're like, I always wanted to play guitar. Thanks for this harmonica. What am I supposed to do with <laughs> yeah. this? Here's a recorder. We had a lot of these. And not only that... They give them the instruments and they tell them, okay, just make sure everyone knows it's C major at 113 beats per minute. Okay, but people who don't play instruments aren't going to know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't know. I didn't understand that. I don't know what that, I, I mean, I know what C major is and like I can understand what 113 beats per minute is, but I won't go, got it. Yeah, and know and what I I'm doing immediately. And I can't think that fucking cavemen, Egyptians, Greeks, they don't know what, they don't speak English. Yeah. No one knows what any of this means. Yeah. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? What, <laughs> you're giving me an, you're giving me an electric guitar. I'm from the 1200s. Like, <laughs> how am I going to play this? The next thing that happens is we turn off this podcast and we see on TV that Biden is handing out instruments to people globally. Hurry, everyone. It's the only way to get Trump out of office. Here's a loot, Jack. Any ideas on how to stop a worldwide plague? We should be providing people the help they need. You got the credit cookies at the end where everyone's playing music. One of the people's Weird Al. Yeah, that was the only one I recognized. How'd he get himself into this movie? He's Weird Al. (laughs) And they got the little coda at the end where they're old at the end. Sucked. I was like, what a fucking waste of a post-credit scene. What should have happened is, in the middle of them rocking out, they both should have died. I kind of expected that to happen. I was going to, honestly, I was waiting for it, and they didn't do it, and I was so angry. Scott, calm down. Ow, ow! Scott! You smashed your fucking head against the mic. Oh, you got a bruise there. You got so excited talking about this. Ah, damn it. Stop. Scott, are you bleeding? Oh, that's not good. I feel woozy. Well, look, that was the the Bill and Ted trilogy, right? Yeah, that's it. Normally, this is where we we send Phil to a crazy location. He's our our correspondent. Sure. But uh, this time around, I thought it would be fun if we actually sent him into the future. This should be exciting. Yeah, how's the future, Phil? Hey, folks, this is Phil, your field correspondent for the Trilogy Podcast. Well, it took me some time to find a phone booth, but I'm ready to go to the future! Future, future. <laughs> okay, let's do this. Whoa. Look at this place. It's a utopia. And... Is that a statue of Vin? 
And Scott? In the future, the Trilogy Podcast must do something that brings world peace. Philip Casal. Yes, yes, that's me. <laughs> nice futuristic hat you got there. We were expecting you. Yeah, I must be pretty famous in this world, huh? Something like that. Oh! Oh! Oh, you shot me! Wait, is that a gun? I thought this was a peaceful utopia! It was foretold that you will cause the downfall of the Trilogy Podcast. You must die. Wait, isn't this the future? You don't have a laser or something? You just use a handgun? Well, that's encouraging. Could have been worse, I guess. I mean, I am delighted by the news. And do I feel bad for Phil? It's for the good of the world, you know? It's it's going to unite the world and everything. So, you know, you can't make an omelet without uh, cracking a few fills. Why don't you break it down for me, brother? Growing up, I watched the first two movies a lot. Uh, so I was pretty familiar with them. It had been a long time, obviously. But it kind of all clicked back in. And the first one is great. It's a great idea. At the time, it was very unique. And then uh, the second one, I really like the second movie. I like that they go to hell. I like death in it. I really like the second movie. The third movie just, it just fell so short for me. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to shit on it entirely because I didn't think it was completely terrible, but it, it didn't seem worth doing. I think I'm going to have to say it's an unsuccessful trilogy. I would have said the two movies were successful on their own, but right. years later, trying this just didn't work for me. So I'm going to say it's unsuccessful and I am going to rate them at two, one, three. Wow, very interesting. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go um, in a different direction with this. Okay. I love the first movie, and it's a huge part of my childhood. I think the other two don't even come close to measuring up to it. The second movie I didn't like, but it had some really great moments in it. The third movie I didn't necessarily like, but it had some really great moments in it. I'm almost conflicted as to whether I might call this a successful trilogy, because the good parts... And the fact that it all comes to fruition at the end, comes to a logical conclusion, mm. almost makes it work for me. But at the end of the day, I just didn't think there was enough there to call it successful. Yeah. So for me, I think ultimately I have to go unsuccessful one, three, two. Much as I loved Sadler, I liked some of the moments in three more than I liked the moments in two. There was just more of them. All right. Well, that was Bill and Ted. That was it. Folks, thank you so much for listening to yeah. the podcast. I am Vincent Preston Berardi. And I am Scott William Cagney Esquire. And we are the Trilogy, Trilogy podcast. podcast. Make sure you check us out on all the social media. Go to Instagram, where I really try and match up in a huge way what we say on the podcast with what we present on there. Great compliment to the show. And that's at Trilogy Podcast? It is indeed, my brother. All right. And I uh, handle the Twitter, which is, uh, I believe, is also at Trilogy Podcast. And you can check that out. Uh, we do polls about our current episode that's out, so you can you know get your opinion in there. And we throw up some nice little clips from the podcast. So check those out as well. Interact with us. All right. So, uh, Scott, I think you should just pick up your axe. I'll grab my drumsticks, and we'll pretend that we know something about music. All right. I brought the axe. Oh, you meant a guitar, didn't you? I think your best bet, ladies and gentlemen, is to simply go to the beginning of this podcast, pretend that we didn't do it one time. You'll probably hear something different the second time around. Yeah. You know, that episode was so good, Scott. We should probably let ourselves know just how much fun we're going to have. You're right. We should. Well... I mean, we do, right? You remember the beginning when we met ourselves? Do you, do you remember what we said to us? I think so.
you wanna